Church in Savannah, Georgia. To find out more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now a message from the series Subjects from the Sermon on the Mount. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit, which moves and changes lives. Um, We thank you for regeneration for people who are born again that you've given new hearts to. And it's despite ourselves, Lord, that you have sought us out. You have pursued us. um, You have loved us. And and just like Greg said, now we love because what you first loved us. And that's just some that's a work of God that we cannot do on our own. And so I'm just grateful. I just rejoice in that. I pray that there would be more stories because of your goodness and your gospel. That Christ loved us, died for us and rose again. And as we open his word and we look at his words, literally the words he spoke to his disciples, Lord, I am one who needs great mercy and grace. And so I ask you now to just fill me with your spirit um, to teach your word in a way that your people are encouraged and challenged, that we grow to be more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. For his name and reputation, I pray. Amen. All right, go ahead. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We've got our missions team going to Nicaragua this week, so I'm trying to give Rafa and his wife here, our missionaries, a little Spanish props. That's the only my only Spanish I have, Cinco. So, and hola. I'm good there, too. Um, you know, there's only, if you've ever been, I'm from the north, I'm a Yankee, and so I'm from Philly, as you well know. And um, we used to go down to the shore, yes, the Jersey Shore. And I didn't see the situation or whatever his name is when I was there. But there's a thing about the shore that all of us northerners know. In the south, you don't get this because the ocean is actually warm or pools are warm down here. But up north, pools are not warm and the ocean is certainly not warm. And there's really only one way to get in. I mean, there's there's none of this like tiptoeing, like, you know, kind of slow. And, you know, there's none of that. Just one way. And that's just to jump in. It's just to jump in. And really, there's only one way to to do today's text is just to jump in. Because last week we told you we kind of stopped in the middle of a sermon. It was really, it's a two-part sermon. Um, And and we ended last week. And so we're just going to jump into the text today. The king, Jesus, has been speaking to his disciples. He's been telling them uh, what it looks like to live in the kingdom, what kingdom living looks like. And, And he started with the Beatitudes. We're not a bunch of rules to follow. He cares more about who his disciples are than what they do. And so he starts internally. And we looked at some things he said. He said he wants his disciples who are blessed, who are approved, who are content to be poor in spirit. Where there's a, a humility and a recognition of spiritual bankruptcy. That he says they are blessed, they're content, they're approved when they mourn over sin and the fallenness around them. When they're meek, where there's strength under control. Okay, they trust God and they trust that he'll act and they gently just kind of resist the the opportunity to go and strike and and, and they're patient and meek and gentle. And then finally, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They long for Christ's will in their life on earth. Uh, Those are the first four. But he continues on. This is what remember that you can't split the Oreo up. You can't split the sermon up. These are all or nothing. All right. So let's continue on in verse seven as we continue to look at these Beatitudes. Verse seven. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Now, what is mercy? Sometimes we think of mercy, grace. They're very similar, but there's some subtle differences as well between grace. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor. It's God lavishing us with what we do not deserve. 
All right, that's grace. Mercy focuses a little bit more on the negative side. It's more of not getting what we do, do deserve. It's, it focuses on the relief of suffering or pain. Okay, so for instance, if I get pulled over a police in my speedy minivan going 80, all right, and, and the police officer comes up and says, I'm not going to give you a ticket. That's mercy because I deserve a ticket, right? So he's shown me mercy, relief of what I deserve. And then he says, I'm going to give you a safe driver certificate. That's grace. That's not what I deserve. He has given me something that I do not deserve, and he is not giving me what I do deserve. God has shown us mercy and that we escape his wrath that we deserve because we're sinners, we're rebels. He has given us grace and that he's lavished his love and he's given us eternal life. So that's, that's mercy and grace a little bit different. Mercy is the escape of judgment, and grace is him giving us his love and his salvation. And so Jesus says right here, blessed are those who are, who are merciful, who don't give people what they deserve, who, who focus on relieving the pain. Now, this is a hard thing for us, because let's be honest, we like to be on the receiving end of mercy. But when it comes to giving it, we got a little Cobra Kai in us. All you 80s guys, Cobra Kai, Karate Kid. We do not train to be merciful here. Mercy is for the weak. Here in the streets or in competition, a man confronts you. He's the enemy, and the enemy deserves no mercy. Right? You got to go watch and watch Karate Kid. Not the cheesy one that came out last year. The old one, Daniel's son. We have a little bit of that in us, right? We don't train to be merciful. But what Jesus says is, no, 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 no. My subjects are merciful. They're blessed. It's not enough just to receive mercy. You must be a giver a shower of mercy. Why? Because that is who God is. Isn't that who our Heavenly Father is? Isn't that what King Jesus is like? Exodus 34, Moses is there. He's about to get the tablets. And God goes by him and says, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. Hebrews says that Jesus is a high priest, merciful high priest. I was just reading in my quiet time this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. But God being rich... In mercy, because of the great love which with he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Because God is merciful, he expects his children to be merciful. Okay? So that's one reason, right? That's one reason, because we reflect our father. You see my youngest child, he's three years old. When he goes into the doctor and they tell him, you're in the fifth percentile in your growth, everyone says, he's the son of his daddy. Right? There's no doubt. Now, if he, was, if he looked like a McGinney kid and he's like 6'1 at four years old, there'd be a problem. <laughs> All right? He doesn't reflect his daddy. He does. And if you are a child of the king, there should be some mercy because you have been shown mercy, right? He is merciful. And the bigger reason probably that we're supposed to show mercy is wasn't there a cross with your name on it? Wasn't there wrath that should have been poured out upon you and it was poured out on someone else? Wasn't that there? In fact, Jesus tells a story about this. Hold your finger here. Go to Matthew 18. Flip to the right a few, a few chapters. Matthew 18. Very famous parable. Peter, in verse 21, came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often should my, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times seven? 
Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, excuse me, seven times? I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And he tells this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, isn't that what we've been talking about? The kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And the, the Jewish reader says, no way, 10,000 talents. Because that is such an enormous amount of money. It's like the national debt. All right, for us, one talent, one talent would take an average wage guy 6,000 days to pay off. So if you do the math, you're talking 60 million days worth of work to pay this, this loan off. And I kind of did my division. It's 164, 383,000 and a half years. It's a long time to pay off a debt. And that's the point. It's so big that no one could ever pay it off. So that's what he owes. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. No, you won't. No, you won't. You'll be dead in 20 years. There's no way you can pay this. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave the debt. But when the same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, that's three months salary. Three months. He seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have you have patience with me, I will pay you. And he could. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And his anger, he delivered him to the jailers until he paid all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. What's the point of the story? You've been forgiven a zillion dollars. And you can't forgive ten bucks? You can't not show mercy? See, it makes no sense for a Christian who has been shown so much mercy to not turn and forgive mercy. And not do the same. Me and the kids were watching this little special on PBS the other night about these fuzzy little raccoons. It was so cute, and the fuzzy little raccoons are out. And, and all of a sudden, this fuzzy little raccoon sees this bunny rabbit. It's like, oh, cute, look at these two things. And all of a sudden, the raccoon goes and gets it, and it eats it. And I was like, what in the world? That is wrong. This is wrong. A bunny rabbit is to be friends. That's what they are in Bambi. But he eats this thing, and I'm thinking, how wrong is that? It's even more wrong for a Christian who does not show mercy to someone else. It just doesn't, it's not fitting. It is not fitting. You have been forgiven for killing Jesus. You have been shown mercy for putting the Son of God on a cross. What then can you not go show mercy for? And it's very interesting in this parable, what does Jesus call the man who doesn't show any mercy? Verse 32, you wicked servant. The person who is not merciful Jesus calls them wicked. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Right? See, this is why it starts where? With poor in spirit. Because when you are poor in spirit and you see yourself for who you are, you mourn over sin, you're gentle, you're hungering and thirsting after God's righteousness. What is the natural thing that takes place? Your vision of everyone else is going to be changed. Because you're going to see yourself accurately. You're going to see that. You see who you really are. Right. And the people that the problem with Christians that don't show mercy is they have a very high view of themselves. 
and they've, they actually see themselves as higher than God because God doesn't know what he's doing. He showed mercy. I don't need to. So you're basically saying you are smarter than God. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed. Why? Because they shall receive mercy. And this is not like a tit-for-tat kind of thing. If I forgive, then God will forgive me. I can earn God's forgiveness. Let's be honest. If our forgiveness was based on our forgiving other people, who would make it? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I show that I am blessed. I show that I am content. I show that I am approved. Why? Because I am merciful. It's a result of the fact that I have been shown mercy. So I go and show it. It's not to earn it. It's not to earn it. These people are blessed. These people are approved. And so the question we have to ask this morning is his subject is, are you showing the characteristics of your father? Are you showing mercy? Are you a person that holds grudges? That won't talk to that person until they come and make sure they apologize. And you'll do it two weeks, three weeks. Are you this person that you're still talking about what they did weeks, months, years later? Do you feel like you have to get even? They chopped down my tree, so I'm going to chop down their tree. Right? Do you have to make it? Do you have to bring it back? Do you capitalize on the failures or the weaknesses of others? This is the Pharisees who devour widows and orphans, Jesus says. Or do you look to relieve the pain of the weak? That's merciful, right? How do you respond when others succeed, even if they were the other side of the competition? Do you rejoice when they fail? See, that, that's, that's, the con- that's mercy. It's not doing those things. It's rejoicing in everything. Not rejoicing in their suffering, rejoicing in when they succeed, and not laughing when someone gets caught, not laughing when they finally get busted. It's mercy, right? Blessed are the merciful. And there is a warning, not in this passage, but in James. James says this, that judgment is going to be without mercy for those who show no mercy. So there's a blessing for those who are merciful. There is a judgment. Judgment will be stricter and harsher for those who have shown no mercy. Blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. Let's continue. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The idea behind the word pure is unmixed or undivided. This word pure, it's used outside of the New Testament. And what we have, we have the translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. It's a Greek translation. It was used, it was written before uh, the New Testament when they translate it. But it has a lot of similar Greek words. And this word in the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament, it's used when they're talking about the pure gold of the temple. That gold that's been refined and purified so that there's no, no impurities and the dross has been taken off. It's undivided. It is pure. Okay? And, and what he's talking about here is a pure, undivided heart. When we were in Dallas, um, we were excited because, well, I was excited because they finally had sports teams professional sports teams. I haven't been in an area with sports teams in a long time. I'm, you know, I don't think Georgia has any professional sports teams today. I don't know about that. Um, but um, so we were there and I, I prom- I tried my best. I mean, I, I tried, I said, I, it purposed in my heart. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to root for the Texas Rangers because they're in the American league. It doesn't, they're never going to face my team. And I tried and I'll be honest, I went to games. I watched the news. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't bring myself to root for this team. I just had, my, my heart can't be divided, so. Okay? I, I, I have to be pure and faithful to one thing. But that's the idea that what Jesus is saying here is someone that is pure in heart is undivided. There is a loyalty to one. 
to the king, to the kingdom. That's the idea behind pure in heart, unmixed, single-mindedness in heart. But here's the big problem with our hearts, right? What does Jeremiah say about our heart? That our heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. It's not sick because it eats too much something bad for you. It's sick because of sin. Jesus says later in Matthew 15, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication. You often hear in our culture, just go with your heart. What does your heart tell you? When you hear that, say, don't go with your heart. Because your heart is deceitful. And it's wretched. People in our culture want to blame society and they want to blame parents and education and racism and the government and the environment. But the influence is not the problem in our society. The environment is not the problem. Adam and Eve were in the absolute perfect environment when they fell. Everything was perfect. It wasn't the environment's fault. It wasn't their daddy's fault. All right? The problem we have in our world is our hearts. And people are just living out what is in their heart. It's sin. So what is the solution? How can I have a pure heart, an undivided heart, if my heart is sick? Let me tell you what the solution is not. It's not to do what the Pharisees did, who are all listening at this point. What did they do? They focused on the external. They tithe out of their spice racks. They cleaned their plates. They did great on the outside. They, they strained the gnats. They did all these things. Jesus said, inside you're dead. Dead man's bones. Right? focusing on the outside, having the biggest ESV study Bible and being able to turn to Matthew before everyone else. Look at, I got there first. That's not what he's talking about. He doesn't say blessed are the pure in behavior. It's not who's the smartest and who knows all the words and all the key phrases. It's not blessed in the blessed of those who are pure in intellect. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. But we have a big problem. The heart is sick. The only people who are blessed are the blessed and pure in heart. What do we do? That, my dear Watson, is the point of the sermon. Where do we go back to? Blessed are the, pure, are the poor in spirit. You cannot have a pure heart on your own. Certainly not by making rules for yourself. So what's the problem? You have to put your faith in someone else. You have to come spiritually bankrupt and say, Lord Jesus, I am not pure. And put your faith in what he has done, his finished work on the cross. And then what does he do? He, puts, he gives you a new heart. It's what he calls being born again. Fancy theological word that you need to get your arms around. Regeneration. To be born again. To be made new. And then you were given a new heart with new desires. You saw Greg talk about it. He wants now to do... He, does, he has a heart to be at church. Where did that come from? Not because I'm such a great preacher. It's because he's been given a new heart. Now he has new desires. Now the old man is still there. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I'm doing the things I don't want to do. What's going on here? There is still a battle, but now there is a new desire and a new heart. And sin now, it, it makes me pained. Blessed are those who mourn. Right? So the person that's pure in heart is constantly crying out what David says in Psalm 139. You need to mark it up. You need to say it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And then what? Then lead me in the way. Then lead me in the way of everlasting. What does he say in Psalm 51? Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. The person who is pure in heart is constantly saying, Lord, where am I undivided? Where, where am I split? Where am I rooting for two teams? Where am I being unfaithful? Where am I not pure? Is it in my relationship? Is my job too important? Is my family too important? Is it even more important than you? Where am I divided? And when God shows you, create in me a clean heart. 
a person that's pure in heart doesn't harden their heart. Do not today. If you hear his voice, do not harden it like they did in the wilderness. When he says this is wrong, don't say, no, it's not. That's not pure in heart. That's hardening. You want to know the, the, the best key to know how if your if your heart is pure? Right here is your mouth. Because Jesus says your mouth speaks that which fills your heart. What do you find yourself singing when your mind's in neutral? What A C D C? I hope not. I mean, what do you find yourself what is it what comes out of your mouth? Because it eventually will reveal itself. You can only hide it for so much. So what do you sing? What do you talk about? It'll be a very big revelation to what's in your heart. How you speak to others. Because if you're letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you, what is the result? You will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's just a result. How do you talk? How do you talk to others? What do you talk about? Do you talk about Christ ever? Then he, then he might not be filling your heart. Okay, the mouth speaks and that's how we know what our, where our heart is. And so when we evaluate and we say, search me, God, and he reveals it, then we say, create me a clean heart. That's the pure heart. And those people are blessed. Why? They shall see God. Whoa, Nellie. I mean, anytime a, a famous person comes to Savannah, it's like, oh my goodness, the man versus food guy's in town. Yes. And he was, he was here two weeks ago and everyone's excited about the man versus food. The guy that shoves food in his mouth for a living. Isn't that excited? He says, you shall see God, and it's in the middle voice. That means you shall see for yourself. You individually will get to see God. And let me tell you this. In a million years, you will never walk away from Jesus and still not be awestruck. You're not going to walk away from seeing Jesus in the kingdom and someone's going to say, how was it today? Eh, so-so. You will constantly, forever be able to walk in the light of his glory. And his holiness, you'll be able to taste it. It'll be like honey on your lips. When you see God, John says, you shall be like him when you see him. And you will never walk away. Hmm. That's the blessing of the pure in heart. What a blessing. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. The peacemakers, not the peaceful, not the Christian hippie wearing tie-dye, not the guy that wants peace, not the peacekeepers who avoid conflict, who cover over, ignore, pretend it doesn't happen, appease, don't rock the boat. The makers of peace, what conflict and strife and whatever else is going on, they work to fix it, to bring alienation together. And he says, notice, he says, blessed, they're blessed. Why? They shall be called sons of God. Some of your translations say children of God. Not a great translation. It misses the idea of what's going on here. For a Jew, when they say, you son of dog, that's more Russian, isn't it? That's not really Jewish. If you son of dog, what they're saying is not that your parents are schnauzers. What they're saying is that you have a character of a dog. That's what, that's what the idea is. So children kind of misses the idea a little bit. It, it's the character of, you will have the character of God. You will be known as one who reflects God when you are a peacemaker, a maker of peace. And you will be blessed because you're reflecting the king, his character. Why? Because he is a peacekeeping, peace-loving God. He is the prince of peace. How often does Paul call him the God of all peace? How often does he say grace and peace in Christ? The Hebrew word shalom, you've heard it, the idea of just peace, 
right? The entire Bible is a story of God making peace with men. Man rejects God. And what is the whole Bible about? The one who will reconcile man and God and bring peace. And so now Paul says in Romans 5, having been justified through Christ, we have peace. Peace because of Jesus. And so he says, blessed are those who make peace. And there's, I think, two practical ways you see this in the scripture. There's one side where we are supposed to bring peace between God and man. How? Because we have the message of peace in the gospel. And so Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us... Christians, the message of reconciliation, the gospel. And he goes on to say, then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God was making an appeal to through us. We beg you on behalf of God, be reconciled to Christ. And then he says, he made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Your job is to tell people about the Prince of Peace so that they might be made at peace with God because they're right now enemies of him and under his wrath. And so there is a peacekeeping mission for the church through the proclamation of the gospel. That's one side. That's the man ver, man with God peace. But there's also a man ver, with man peace that we're supposed to be involved in as well, aren't we? And so Paul says in Romans 12, as is possible, as, if possible so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Okay? So for your part, as possible as, as, as it is for you, for your part, your job is to live peaceably with who? With all. Not the people you like, not just people in church, not the people who are in your political party, with everybody. With A-L-L. All right? And so for the peacemaker, at his office or her office, what they do is when there's a heated debate and there's everyone yelling at them, each other, they're the person who's quiet and they're listening and they're, and, they're, and they're conscientious of others and they're respectful and they're courteous because they know a soft answer turns away wrath. And a peacemaker is someone, when this person over here is talking about that person over there, and they hear it, what do they do? They don't get involved with that, but they go say, you know, you really ought to talk to her about that. Because this is just getting out of hand. See, that's what a peacemaker does. And what a peacemaker does is it prays for their enemies, for those who hurt them. It's that when they walk by their enemy in the morning in the office, they say, good morning, Bobby Cox. Good morning. Good morning. You're the initiator. Right. The peacemaker, when they say something that hurts someone's feelings and they didn't mean it or they do something that was, you know, misunderstood or whatever it is, even if they didn't mean it and there was no bad intention, they go and they say they're sorry. Because it's not about them. It's about living at peace with all. Peacemaker does not go to bed with his spouse angry. And men, this is easy to do. Women will be up all night. Men will be asleep. Wake up and think everything's fine because I got eight hours. So that's why the scriptures say, don't let the sun go down in your anger. The peacemaker, when the relationship is ruptured, they don't ignore and hide. It's like, oh, there's that guy at church. He goes to second service. I'm going to go to first service. Right? They don't ignore. They don't nurse the grudge. The peaceful Christian is not the argumentative Christian. Always looking for a fight. I'm all this. You're pre this. I'm post this. I'm for this. They're not looking for the fight sitting in the sermon like this. Okay, how can I evaluate this? How can I find out a way that I'm going to do this? They're teachable. Okay? Peacemaker puts aside preferences because his preferences are not as, poor, as important as unity in the body. 
doesn't matter what color the carpet is, if we got decaf or whatever. And how many marriages, y'all, fall apart because one or more will not give up their preferences or forgive? How many families haven't talked to each other in years because someone did something at the last family reunion or someone took that antique that aunt so-and-so said was supposed to be for them? Right? How many churches split because I don't like green or I don't like orange or why do we do that? Peace, right? Peace, blessed are the peacemakers. They have the character of God. They shall be called sons of God. And if the character of the Father, think about this now, think about the other side. If the character of the Father is peace, then who is the, those who divide and are, and, and are conflict bringing and, and those who seek their own way? Who, who is that the character of? It's the character of the enemy. In fact, Jesus says that Satan was the murderer, a destroyer from the beginning. So if peace is the character of the Father, then who is the destroyer of peace? Who's a, who you're reflecting? Who's your character reflecting? Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. They shall reflect the character of God. One more, verse 10. Good, I'm going to find time. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is probably seemingly on the outside the most opposite of all of them, right? I mean, everything in our culture is geared to being liked. You know, on our Facebook, we put the songs that we like, that everyone will know that we like, and it's popular. I mean, we don't put that, I like Carmen or Sandy Patty or something. We don't put that on there, right? But we, we you know, we put the cool guys on there, right? We have the nicest picture. We have the nice videos. That we, we, we want people to like us. But Jesus is saying, blessed are those who no one likes. Blessed are the rejected, the mocked, the, the ones that get made fun of, the ones that get beat up. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is how he started the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted, theirs right now is the kingdom of heaven. So he's, he's wrapping this thing up and he's saying the kingdom is theirs right now. But he, can, he further, he further um, uh, expands on, on, this, on this idea of being persecuted in verses 11 and 12. He says this, blessed are you. And now he's directing it at the apostles. He's directing at the disciples. He's been saying generally, blessed are those, blessed are those. Now he says, it's like he sticks his finger in their face and say, blessed are you when others revile you and they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed are when you're persecuted. But it's not just some general open-ended persecution, is it? There, there's some clarifications that he gives here, right? I mean, he gives some qualifiers. First qualifier is it's got to be false. He says they utter all kinds of evil and persecute you falsely. It's not true. So if someone says, well, he's obnoxious, he's abrasive, all he does is talk, all he does is this, and it's true, then that's not persecution. If someone says, well, he's just unloving and all he does is tell people what they should do and how they need to do this, but he doesn't really care about people, so they don't like me. Well, they don't like you because you're not likable, not because you're being persecuted for being a Christian. Well, I got fired because because I I was reading my Bible and, and, and up dating my Twitter with Piper quotes or something at work. Well, yeah, because you were supposed to be working. That's why you got fired. It's not because you were following Jesus. Okay, there's a qualification. It has to be, it has to be false, number one. But secondly, it's not just being persecuted for a cause. What does he say? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are those when they do it on who? My account. When you are persecuted for being a follower of Jesus. Because you're poor in spirit and you're mourning over sin and because you're meek and gentle and because you're loving for Christ. That's when he says you're blessed. Right? Not for being obnoxious or abrasive. This, that's Jonesboro Baptist Church. They're not being persecuted 
when they show up at these funerals, weddings, funer- I mean, funerals of, of soldiers. That's not per- Christian persecution. That's them being obnoxious. All right. This is not, oh, they don't like Jesus. It's just them not being Christian. Okay, so he says, when, they, when you're following me, when you won't compromise, when you won't lie, when you won't compromise your purity, when you won't just let the kids go do whatever they want and people criticize you and grandma criticize you, whatever it is, that is what we're talking about. And notice Jesus assumes it's going to take place. Blessed are you when there's an assumption that sooner or later that when your faith is lived out at work or home or in your relationships or on college campus, when it becomes visible, there's going to be shots fired across the bow. Because Paul says, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. It's a little promise to claim. And why is that true? Because Jesus was the most loving, gentle, humble, peaceable, pure, joyful, patient, kind person who ever lived, and they murdered him. And if a servant is not greater than his master, then what makes you think it wouldn't happen to you? In fact, he says it should. But that's okay. That's okay. And the reason why they do it, y'all, here's, here's the simple reason. Because when you live like light in the dark culture, you will expose the deeds of darkness of the culture. And one of two things will happen. You will be a fragrance, fragrance of Christ and an aroma of life to them, and they will repent and believe the gospel. Or you will be the fragrance of death, as Paul calls it, an aroma of death, and they will hate it. One of two actions. And when they hate it, they will persecute. But Jesus says, it's okay. Rejoice. And be glad. It's too strong. It's like rejoice and and jump for joy. Why? For your reward in heaven is great. Two reasons. Number one, your reward in heaven is great. You may be made fun of for being a prude or, you know, I'm going to stay home with the kids and raise them. But you could make something of yourself out there and you could make more money and have a bigger house. No, this is what God calls me to do. You may be made fun of for those things. I'm going to lovingly serve my wife and I'm going to hang out with her. I'm not going to go play golf on Saturdays. Whatever it is, you're going to be made fun of. And he says, that's okay. Because this temporary stuff, wait till you get to heaven and see the loot I have for you. Wait till you see it. Right? Remember the apostles in Acts 5? They get beaten. 39 lashes, 40 minus 1, which was the standard. They get whipped and beaten because they won't stop preaching about Jesus. And what do they do? They walk away. Or they probably are crawling away because you get beaten. They're like, yes! They're cheering and rejoicing. Why? Because they found it, were found worthy to be beaten for his name. See, they heard this and they got it. And if someone mocks you at your school or someone talks about you behind your back at your work, you should rejoice and be glad. Because he says your reward, your loot in heaven, phenomenal. And then he tells a second reason. that This is, this is, this is modus operandi for the world. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They did this to all the old prophets too. I mean, they saw the old Isaiah in half. They, they stoned Jeremiah. They threw him down a well. They did a bunch of stuff to him. They stoned Haggai. John the Baptist got his head cut off. They just, they've been killing prophets for 2,000 years, y'all. And for the last 1,500 years or 2,000 years still, they've been killing Christians. And they will until the Prince of Peace shows up. So it's, it shouldn't surprise you. And, and we have been very blessed to live in America. We don't know persecution. I mean, you might get made fun of, but you don't know persecution. You, you just don't. China knows persecution. Sudan there's persecution, right? Some places in the UK now, no persecution. It's coming. But we don't know it, not like this. But he says you're blessed. Blessed, content. And we'll talk next week a little bit more as we get into the next section about is your light really shining enough that people would want to persecute you? But that's another story for another day. Who does Jesus want us to be?
Remember, he focuses here. This is where he starts. This sermon, where does he start? He starts on the heart. Where does he want us to be? Poor in spirit. Mourning over sin. Meek, hungering and thirsting for his will to be done. Showing mercy. A, a, a messenger of peace, pure in heart. And one who's not afraid to stand up for Christ. No matter what the cost. And you know what he says? The result is blessed, approved, satisfied, content. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being all these things and being our example and ultimately being our substitute because we couldn't live these things, certainly. And we don't have pure hearts. I thank you for our new hearts and the new covenant that was poured out in your blood so that we might have your spirit in us. As we worship you because of your faithfulness, as we think about your mercies, I just pray that we would be reminded that they are new every morning and that your faithfulness is great. Lord, at this time of just worship, if someone in this room has to search their heart, I pray that you would reveal to them if there is any impurity. I pray if someone needs to be at peace with someone, that they would give that purpose of, of going and making peace. If there needs to be mercy shown, maybe there needs to be a light shown in their, their home or their place of work so that they actually have a testimony. Whatever it is, Lord, we just want to worship. For, for, just for, just touch our hearts. Let your spirit speak to us as we sing and then as we celebrate these baptisms. For Christ's sake, I pray. You guys can go ahead and stand up.